0: Let's turn to God's Word and we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 1 this morning. A bit of the Christmas story. I've titled the message, His Story, Your Story. And here's here's my thought. ...that I'm going to weave through this. We've often heard it said that history is his story, right? Speaking of God. And that certainly is true. But I think, I think it's probably a little bit more than that. Because you can't have history without a human story as well. And I want, I want to show through the lens of, of Matthew's rendering of the Christmas story... ...how God's story and your story are connected... Because there's a path that we travel that makes... There's an intersection of those two stories that truly make history what it is. And and it can be different for you than you ever imagine when those two things uh, intertwine with one another. So that's what we're going to look at. But I'd like to take just a moment and set this up. We're going to be looking uh, at Matthew 18, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. But the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1... Are a little startling the first time you look at. So if you if you haven't read your Bible and you haven't looked at it for a long time, you really and somebody says to you, "Well, read the New Testament." You start out and you've got this long thing. It's just a list of names, and it's like. Oh, man, is this going to be boring? And, you know, if that's the way it starts, what, what am I in for? But there's some really, really awesome stuff in there. And there's a purpose. That, those first 17 verses are really Jesus' family tree. And there's a reason why that's in there. But let me just point out one thing to just kind of set up where I'm going with this message. Uh, somewhere in there, up like the top third, there's a, the, the name Boaz shows up. And uh, let me just talk a little bit about that because you connect that with the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Fascinating story. Ruth was an outsider to the Israelites. She was an immigrant. She didn't belong there. She had no income source. Her husband had died. She's a widow. She's there with her mother-in-law, who's also a widow. And I mean, the, the whole how that whole thing uh, comes together is pretty, pretty incredible and sad tale. To the point that Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, when she went back home to, to Israel and brought her daughter-in-law with her, she said to her family and friends, I'm changing my name. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Oh, why Mara? Well, because Mara means bitter. And she said to them, Life's gone sour on me. And it truly had. And she said, And I've gone sour on life. I'm bitter, and I don't care who knows it. Just call me bitter because that's what I am. So that's kind of the environment that Ruth is living in, and uh, because it's just two ladies living together, no source, no mail in in the home, no source of income whatsoever, and uh, Ruth decides, well, I've got to find some food. She becomes a sort of panhandler, as it was in their day. She went out into the fields where they were reaping the grain, and she would just pick up whatever the harvesters had uh, dropped along the way, and uh, take that home, and hopefully make some kind of a meal out of that that would... Would get them through another day, so that was she she ended up in the, the this is where the story gets really interesting. She ends up in the field of Boaz and Boaz, as it turns out, is like the most eligible bachelor in israel the guy 's hot right he 's rich he 's good looking and uh, he and all of the ladies are interested in Boaz, and Ruth becomes his love interest. I mean, it's the most unlikely thing you can imagine. It just shouldn't happen this way. She falls in love with him. He falls in love with her, and it's an amazing story. The reason why I bring that out is because if you look in those first seventeen verses of Matthew chapter one, it says in parenthesis, "and Rahab was Boaz's mother." Do you know who, who Rahab was? She's a prostitute. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' family tree, right? So the mother of this man is a prostitute. She she was in the city of Jericho when the Israelites came to first invade the land and take the promised land and they sent the spies and they ended up in her home and she said I'll protect you and hide you and keep your secret and by the way I want you to know I've heard the stories of what happened back there when, when you guys left Egypt and, and the Red Sea, and the parting of the waters and all of Pharaoh's army getting wiped out and all that sort of thing and she said I believe that I believe in your God and I believe that your God is going to be victorious and I think I want to be on his side because I know anybody that's on his side is going to come out on the winning side. And so she, she declares her faith in this most unlikely fashion and becomes a believer and ultimately a part of the family tree of Jesus himself. It's an unbelievable story. And the reason why I point that out is because that's one of a whole list, a whole fascinating list of stories that starts out Matthew chapter 1 that leads us into the story of Jesus and His birth and His life. It's unbelievable. It's an intertwining of stories on a scale that's... that. I mean, just take the time to read it or think about it. It's it's truly amazing. It's God's story becoming a part of the human story and weaving it all together into one. Now let's go to verse 18. And I want to point out to you how this plays out in what is a familiar story to most of us. Now, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Verse 20. As he considered this... He fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, specifically the prophet Isaiah. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So what I want to do over these next few minutes is talk to you about five ways God's story And your story are intertwined. How they intersect. How they become one story. So let's take a look at uh, the first of these. Number one, God is always right on time. It's about timing. This This is one important way that your story and God's story connect. It's about timing. Let's look at verse 18 again. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she found herself pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Through the eyes of Joseph and Mary, terrible timing. This wasn't going as planned. It was a social embarrassment to them and to their families. Uh, We used the word engaged. They were engaged to be married, Um, espoused. Is the word that uh, we see in, in some translations, but it was sort of a blend of what in our society is engagement and marriage. It's strong; it was stronger of a commitment than engagement uh, that that we have here today. I mean, it was it was legally binding kind of engagement. They were still living apart with their own parents. The young man was building a home for his new bride, and uh, it was it was a time of purity. It was a time of preparation, getting ready for their life together, and nothing could be. Worse than for the young lady to come up pregnant during this time. And there's no way to hide it. And so Joseph is trying to figure this out, and it's a big, big problem for him. It's about timing. Sometimes, I mean, it seems to be a conflict between timing that's convenient for us and fits with our idea of what life should be and the timing that God seems to be involved in but there's a point where the two intersect. We got a timeline, God has a timeline. By the way, just in case you were curious, Facebook didn't invent the idea of a timeline. Been around for a long time. And in fact, ever since anybody was interested in history... There's been a timeline of sorts, a sequence of events. It's true in your life, it's true for each one of us, it's true in the history books that we read, it's why your history teacher wanted you to memorize dates, because they're important. When things happen, make a difference in the sequence of things. And that might be the thing that some of us struggle with the most. I've discovered that in my personal story, timing often plays an important part in what's going on and more than once I've been unhappy with the timing of things you know what I'm talking about have you ever been through that or timing was a factor in your timeline that you're struggling maybe right now it's like God I I don't get this why this why now why this season of the year why at this point in my life well, it, it it messes everything up and yet God cares about the timing. And if Christmas story tells us anything, it's that God is involved in the timing of things, and there's an intersection of His timeline with ours that makes all the difference. It was true for for not only Joseph and Mary, but for all of us. Take a look at at this verse from Galatians chapter 4, where Paul helps us understand the timing of Jesus' birth, meant something to the whole human race. Verse four, but when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And the point that I want you to notice is that when the time was right for us in God's plan, it was was about the whole human race that God was doing this. And there are times when we have to understand that God's time and our time become one thing. And it's God at work in us. So if things aren't going the way that you wanted them to at this moment, remember, if you want to be involved in this history and His story and your story intersecting, then history, His story, His timeline play a factor in how all that works out. Let's take a look at the next one. It's not just about timing. It's also about the plan. God has a plan for you, and I know you hear us say that a lot. But there's no story in the Bible that more, that better illustrates that than what we're looking at this morning. Because Joseph had a plan, and then he discovers that God has a plan, and the two are not the same for a while. Matthew one nineteen to twenty one. Joseph, her fiance, being a just man, a good man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, in other words, he was thinking about this. He kind of had a general idea where he was going with this. I need to end this relationship. I need to distance myself. But it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to hide the evidence here, right? So he's, how do you make that happen? So as, he, as, as he's wrestling with this, probably got exhausted, fell asleep, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and spoke. This is God speaking him through the angel Joseph, son of David. And again, the son, that phrase "son of David," it just kind of pops in there. But if you look at those first seventeen verses, you realize how critical that is to this whole historical thing. It's amazing how so. Son of, this is how all of the dots get connected. Do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. So there was a plan there, right? Go ahead with that. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph has a plan. The initial one wasn't working out at well. Mary's pregnant. He doesn't understand it. Doesn't know. He knows it wasn't him. So what's going on? He decides that the best thing for him to do is to get out of this mess somehow, but to do it in such a way that's not, that's not going to destroy Mary and her future the best that he can. He just He's just trying to work out the details of what he feels is the right thing to do. When God says, hold on a minute, Joseph... There's another plan, there's another path that you can take, and this is what you need to do. Put a choice before him. You can go ahead with what you're thinking, or you can do what I'm directing you to do. And Joseph, at that moment, had a decision to make. I mean, a lot of times that's how those plans work out. We find ourselves at a, a fork in the road, a pathway, and we have to choose. I, I was thinking this week, we had just a, a great time with family, Thanksgiving, and I don't know where it came from, but somebody had a, a list of like a dozen questions. So as after we finished our Thanksgiving meal, we sat around the table for a while uh, well uh, Kate read the questions to us. She went to like... Read a question and give us five seconds to answer, and then read the next one. So well, hold on a minute; let's take a little more more time with this. And some stories started to come out. It was fascinating, but uh, it got me to thinking about um, just looking around this and thinking how did how did we get here? And Joan will understand what I mean by that. Uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, I had a plan in place. I was going to finish an educational degree I was working on um, I, and as a result of that I ended up resigning from the church I was pastoring I started down I had a whole career plan uh, mapped out direction I was going to go and it involved making a lot of money which I had never done in ministry and so I thought this is, this is the way God wants us to finish up here and uh, I got a job with a small company contracting the federal government and on the day the president the owner a the founder of the company hired me he said I can picture you in a VP role in this company and I'm going, that fits my plan perfectly. And uh, so, uh, you know, I started heading down that path and, and guess what? Um, he thought the company was going to double over the next couple of months because of a new government contract. Instead of doubling, it dro- we lost the contract and we halved the size of the company. And the reason why I survived that cut is because I was the lowest paid person in the company. And <laughs> I helped him to kind of rebuild things. and It didn't work out for him. Needless to say, in the five years, it didn't work out for him. It didn't work out for me. And uh, it was a long, difficult five years. And uh, we got lost in our own little wilderness during that time and had no idea how we would ever get out of it. And then all of a sudden, God, a phone call came and God started opening the door. Things started happening. And lo and behold, we're here with people we love and a place that we love and is like how did how did it happen? God had a plan that was quite different one from the one that I imagined, and He worked it all out in an amazing way for us. Um, I'm not big into social media. Uh, you may have noticed that, but I am trying to learn and grow. I've discovered there's another world out there. And uh, I was uh, looking at some Facebook posts this past week, and uh, somebody from a past life posted... Uh, a piece of a Robert Frost poem in there, The Road Not Taken. Remember that one? Pretty well known. And it was just like the last part of that. And it said, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I I chose the one less traveled. And that has made all the difference. And I got to thinking about it. Um, Joseph could have said that. He came at this very moment he came to a fork in his road. And he's thinking, I'm going to get out of this relationship, and I'm going to move on in a different way than I had planned before. I had no idea how it's all going to work out. But that was the path, and he came to that fork, and he fell asleep in exhaustion, and an angel spoke to him the words of God, Joseph, I want you to marry Mary, and she's going to give birth to this child. It's going to be a boy, and you're going to name him Jesus. And it spelled out this whole completely different path. And looking back, as Robert Fawkes looking back over my life, that choice, however I happened to make it, made all the difference in my life. Joseph, I think, could have said exactly the same thing. He could have walked away from this relationship with Mary and done his own thing. He chose to go down the path that God directed him. And, and I, I, I kind of doubt that he was thinking, you know, this could work out pretty cool. I could become like a... A figurine in a manger scene, and every year, every year for the next two, three thousand years, people are going to bring me out, and put me on the fireplace. Man, this is a pretty cool idea. I, I don't think he was thinking that this was something he was doing for himself, which is, I mean, that's the direction we go, right? It's like, how can I get an angle on this that's going to make it work for me? It wasn't that at all. It's like, he chose the path that was the most unlikely. The most difficult. He had to deal with what people would think. And what people would say. And simply choose that's not important or at least not as important as just doing what I know God spoke to me to do. I would dare say, you know, thinking in Robert Frost's terms, that probably the plan God has for our life is the road least taken in our society. It's the one most rejected. It's perhaps the least attractive. And we sort of reason, there must, I mean, people seem to be going this direction. There's probably good reason why they're doing that. Why don't I just kind of go along with the group? And we miss out on what could have been the best choices we make. So we got this thing about the plan. There's the timing aspect. There's the plan aspect. And what I want to point out is that there's... His story, God's story, and there's your story. And at some point when they come together, they become one story. And that's when it makes all the difference in our lives. Let's take a look at the third thing. And that is that God always delivers on His promises. And this is huge in this story, and it's huge in our story if we take time to think about it and apply it. Let's look at verses 22 and 23 once again. All of this happened... Matthew is telling us to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7 specifically, and I believe verse 14 is what he's quoting in verse 23 here. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. God delivers on his promises. He makes good on His Word. The reason why this is really cool is because this is what brings stability into our lives when there's chaos. This is what anchors us in those moments when everything seems to be going absolutely nuts. The timing of this is crucial because especially the connection between the birth of Jesus fulfills this prophecy that was given in Isaiah chapter 7. First of all, there's about a 700-year span between the two. Secondly, again, if you look back at the first 17 verses, you can kind of see how it all plays together because he divides up those generations. He says, I think it's like in verses 16 and 17, there were like 14 generations from Abraham to David, King David, and then another 14 generations from David, to Uh, the captivity in Babylon. And another 14 generations from the captivity in Babylon until the birth of Christ. Well, it was that gap in there, that captivity in Babylon, is one of those marking points because that was immediately after Isaiah wrote these words. So we know it's 14 generations. History tells us about 700 years in between them that took place. And God made it all happen. He knew far in advance. This wasn't some last-minute scheme he came up with to try to rescue his own plan that had gone badly wrong is something that he had in mind all along ever since Genesis chapter 3 when he cursed the the, the devil in the Garden of Eden. God set a plan of redemption in motion and this is part of it. He made a promise to Adam and Eve. He made a promise here to the people of Israel. There are other promises throughout Scripture that God, God has fulfilled and it all loops back together To connect Him with us. God at work in our lives. If you're going through a rough time, I would just encourage you to focus on the promises of God. Because here's something you can count on. God always does what He says He will do. I mean, there's an ultimate fulfillment of this promise. We know that that's going to take place. There's going to be a Redeemer. God's going to come. He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And we're a part of all of that. It's about God's promise, delivering on those promises. And He's got something in place. These people thought that this was a national salvation. Whenever they talked about the Messiah coming, which this is referring to, the coming of the Messiah, He's going to rescue us. I mean, they're under the domination of Rome. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's going badly for them. But in the in the timing of God, it all comes together. I mean, what's actually happening historically when Jesus is born is the Roman Empire is near its peak. And unlike any empire prior to them, they have built a road system throughout the then known world that made travel easier than it ever had been before. It was a key element in spreading the gospel later on that played into it. Not only that, but they brought the Greek language across the entire empire. That became, a lot of the New Testament was written in the Greek language. It became a way of communicating the gospel through travel, through the language. These common elements are in place. Not only that, that they, they, they are dominating Israel. Israel is in sort of a, 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 almost a kind of slavery where they're under the government of Rome. They're paying taxes to the Rome. They, they can barely govern myself themselves under these conditions, but it was the Roman government that, that, that had the census take place so that made sure that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfillment of another scripture. They were also, they brought this form of punishment called crucifixion that became the way that Jesus died. All of that was a part of fulfilling the plans that God had put in place long, long before. It was the perfect time for that to happen. God had a plan. He had a timing. He had put it all in promises and he worked it out as he said he would. This is the intersection of his story and our story coming together as a single story. Let's, go, let's move on. There's two more points that I want to make more quickly. But they're powerful. Just, I want to show you how two names that are in this story impact us so much. The first one is Emmanuel. God is with you. From verse 23, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And Matthew is saying here, that's Jesus. That's what, you can't make a mistake here because God back in Isaiah chapter 7 said, Listen, I'm going to make this easy for you. This is only going to happen one time, right? A virgin going to have a baby. And when that happens, you'll know this is what I'm talking about. That's Emmanuel. God is with us. And Matthew is going, Here it is, folks. Don't think this is going to happen every generation. This is it. This is the fulfillment of God's plan. And it's all about one thing. God wants you to know that He is with you. He 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 wants to be in your story. I remember back uh, to uh, my college, in my senior year of college, and Joan and I had just gotten engaged. She stayed home in Chicago while I finished my senior year, and then we had planned a wedding uh, like two days after graduation so that my family members could do both at the same time. So we're 500 miles apart, I'm in Springfield, Missouri, she's in Chicago, and I got to missing her really, really badly, and decided I was going to surprise her, so I got a plan together. And my plan was, I had a small suitcase that he could easily carry. um, It was just going to be a weekend. So I had it all packed and ready to go, and my roommate was in on this. And so as soon as my last class was done, which was late on a Friday morning, uh, Phil was going to drive me and drop me off um, at I-44, which was just a a couple miles from the campus. And I was going to stick out my thumb and hitchhike to Chicago. And that's about all the detail I had worked out for this plan. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, at first it went pretty well because I wasn't there. I'm not even five minutes. And this guy pulls over, picks me up. Where are you going? I'm heading to Chicago. And he's going, Chicago? Yeah. He said, well, I can get you as far as St. Louis. I said, awesome. That's great. This is good. So I'm thinking, this, this is going quite well. And uh, until... Three-and-a-half-hour drive, I'm starting to think it a little more deeply into my plan, how this is going to work out. And I'm going, wow, you know, it's going to be close to 4 in the afternoon when I get to St. Louis, and that's like a city, right? It might not be as easy to hitchhike uh, in a city. Uh, and then I got Chicago, and oops, I forgot to check the routes to get there. Uh, somebody will know, uh, and uh, <laughs> I started to get a little scared. How am I going to pull this off? And uh, so then as we're coming into the city, you know, inside St. Louis, he's going, so like, which which street do you want me to drop you off at? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and then I saw a sign for the airport, and I said, i tell you what, just drop me off near the airport. It sounded like an intelligent thing to say at that moment, and... And then I, I got this crazy idea. So once he dropped me off and he was gone, I walked over and I went into the airport and I just thought I had $25 in my pocket. That's why I was hitchhiking, okay? College student. So I had 25 So I went up to the counter and I discovered very quickly American Airlines had a flight that left in 45 minutes to Chicago for $19. And there was a seat available. And I said, I will take that seat. This is going to be okay. I knew I had enough money. I'd flown into Chicago. I knew I had enough money for bus fare to get from O'Hare Airport to downtown Chicago, the Drake Hotel. And then it was just a couple blocks' walk uh, to her place. So I thought, wow, this, this, is, going, this is going pretty well. And, and it, I'll tell you the rest of the story another time. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it gets interesting. But I did make it to Chicago. My whole point is this. I wanted to be with her. And you know how they say love will find a way? That's kind of what it was. Um, I, we, I got there, and it was a good weekend. And I did get back home. I did back to school for Monday morning classes, in case you're wondering, but that's another story. But that's what I think of when I read Emmanuel. God's saying, I want to be with you. And love finds a way. That's what the Christmas story says to us. Love will find a way. And and, and it is about love. I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want us to live together. I've long thought that if there's a golden thread that goes all through Scripture from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, and I don't know, this might be heresy, because this is kind of my own theology. I, I found it validated uh, by a couple of authors, but it's not written about much. But if there's a golden thread that I would choose, it would be this. It's when God says, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And I think that's the whole message from the start to the finish. In fact, when you look at Revelation chapter 21, you'll see God actually saying that. My home is now among men. This is like when everything gets fixed the way it's supposed to be. My home is among my people. We're going to be together from now on. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I want to be with you. I love you. That's the message. That's what the name Emmanuel is all about. And God found a way to weave our histories together to make it possible for us to share that experience. Let's go to the final one. And it's built around the name Jesus. God is your Savior. And look at this in Matthew 1, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, brought Mary home to be his wife. She remained a virgin until her son was born. Joseph named him Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves or the Lord saves. And it's all about that, coming into a broken world. In case you haven't noticed, we live in a broken world. Things are messed up. The economy is a mess. Politics are a mess. Most people would agree our government is broken. Our economy is broken in ways that we hadn't imagined a short time ago our society is broken somebody remind me after the first services some of the, some of the football teams are broken this season there's brokenness all around us and, if, and the question on everybody's mind is can anybody fix this mess which is exactly the question in the minds of God's people during this period of history And God is saying, yes, I'm sending Jesus to fix the mess. That's what Savior means. He's going to rebuild. He's going to recreate. He's going to restore. He's going to renew. Ultimately, God said, I'm making all things new. That's the story. That's where the storyline goes. I'm making everything new. We're part of that universal. Not just a national salvation, a universal restoration. To the point, he says, this is what it's going to be like. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. You can put your hand in a snake pit and you're not going to, it's poisonous snakes, you're not going to get bit. They can't harm you. You can take all of the weapons of the world, the swords and the spears, and beat them into plowshares because there's going to be peace. Nature is going to be at peace with itself. People, humankind is going to be at peace with itself. I'm going to bring peace. There's a universal restoration and salvation that's going to take place. But then he gets more personal. It's a personal salvation is all. I mean, the peace is going to be internalized. It's one thing to have peace externally all around us, but it's something quite different to have peace inside you, even when everything else is chaotic. And he said, that's what this is all about. I'm coming to bring you peace. He's the Prince of Peace coming into your life. This is when his story and your story intersect, and it becomes a single story. And you realize that alone makes all the difference in our lives and in our future. That's what God has in store for us. I'd like to pray with you as we close this morning. I just have a sense that there are some people here today that have been on a pathway and God God has been watching and orchestrating things. There are timing issues, things have been going on that have brought you to this moment, a moment to connect with God in a way that you never have before. And it's about the two stories becoming one. Jesus coming into your life. you hear this morning you say, Pastor Steve, I want to receive Christ into my life. I want my story and his to be so woven together they'll never separate between now and all of eternity. This morning I want Jesus to become my Lord and my Savior. i just like you to ask you to bow your heads. And if that's you, would you slip up your hand? And we're going to close with a simple prayer this morning, inviting Christ to come into your life. Could I just see your hand anywhere here today? You know God's been working in your life. You want to make a choice this morning like Joseph? I'm going to choose the path God's plan for me. I'm going to bring Jesus Christ into my life as the key person in my future. Anyone? slip up your hand. God is at work. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the way that you've been working in our lives and throughout history perfect plan, that's perfectly timed. And Lord, we ask that this morning that your peace would fill up every heart. And as we walk in the path that you've chosen, that we walk in faithfulness, and we discover your love for us, and we create uh, walk in a relationship with you beyond anything that we could have imagined. Lord, I pray your blessing over these people I pray, Lord, that the future would be filled up with the brightness of your joy and your glory that would shine to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.